1: A woman's heart should be so close to God that a man should have to chase him to find her. That's what C.S. Lewis said, but we're in for a treat because Nikki has a quote this week.
0: It says, The fact that I am a woman does not make me a different kind of Christian, but the fact that I am a Christian makes me a different kind of woman. And that is by Elizabeth... I... <laughs> Elizabeth Elliot <laughs>
1: 187 episodes in she gets one quote and messes it up fantastic anyways <laughs> welcome in this is religionless Christianity and on our podcast every week we do our best to help uh, you Christians live a life as a Christ follower in a world that seems to hate him uh, we're not theologists we're not apologists we're not pastors we're just people that love Jesus and um, do the best we can. So, if we get something wrong, please, rather than trashing us and being harsh, consider jumping on social media and engaging with us, sharpen us. We need to be sharpened just like we're trying to sharpen um, here. So, we certainly appreciate that. We have some very good um, subscribers and uh, followers that do just this, and we're very appreciative of that. Uh, one of our subscribers, Eric. He's been helping me along in the, the whole idea of tithing, which has been a blessing to me. So please consider doing that. And this week, we are taking a quick break from our look at the seven deadly sins. That's what we've kind of been going through the last few weeks. Uh, so we can discuss biblical womanhood, which is what we're talking about today. So if you are interested in getting caught up with where we are on the deadly sins, we're at, we just finished sin four. Which was a wrath. And you can go back on the channel. You can find all those episodes, get caught up if you're interested. And then, either next week or in the next few weeks, we're working on an interview with Andrew Rappaport. And he's a busy man. So, we're working as best we can to get him on the show. He is the founder of the Christian Podcast Community, which we are blessed to be a part of. Uh, he's also a pastor, a podcaster himself in uh, an all-around swell guy, so we're going to enjoy mm-hmm. having him on. So if you aren't subscribed, I would say get subscribed now, and if you're on YouTube, go ahead and hit that notification bell so you don't miss it when those episodes come out. Now, before we get to our news of the week and our Bible topic, Nikki's throat is bothering her, which is awesome for a podcast, so if you hear her clearing her throat Well, nobody would
0: notice it if you didn't say I'm anything. I'm going to point it out. So you got to point it out.
1: I'll also point out, if you're watching on the YouTube, I'm wearing my favorite sweater. Uh, He's Nikki had since, hates like, it.
0: eighth grade. Since, <laughs> like, eighth kidding. grade. not kidding.
1: Every time I wear it, she's like, are you still, like, not throwing that away? I'll never throw it away.
0: These holes did not, like, he didn't buy it this way. I know this is, like, today's fashion is clothes full of holes, but no, those are...
1: They represent the holes in our Savior's hands and feet. <laughs> okay. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so... Yeah, she gets to clear her throat, and I'm wearing my but old you quit sweater, it. so man, there you go.
0: Making fun of me twice already.
1: But before we get into the news of the week, the Bible topic, is there anything you would like to say?
0: Yeah, Um. pray for me. I know usually Spencer has all the old man issues, where he just randomly hurts himself or wakes up hurt, but now it's me.
1: <laughs> yep, tables my have turned.
0: back has been hurting really bad, and... I didn't like do a new workout or anything. So I don't know what it is, but it seems to be getting like worse every day. And so I took some pain meds and I never take pain medication unless I really, really need it. Like maybe twice a year I ever take any pain medicine.
1: Yeah, she's goofy. I'll give her ibuprofen and she's like, is it too much? Like, you can't take enough ibuprofen to be too much. I
0: am very sensitive.
1: Guzzle that stuff, don't you guzzle can. ibuprofen. I'm just kidding, very dangerous young children. Don't guzzle ibuprofen, yeah. So,
0: anyway, please pray for me.
1: Yeah, I think it's because she's been carrying this episode all week.
0: Maybe that's it. So, her <laughs>
1: back is giving out, she's not used to carrying the podcast episode. So, we'll see how she feels next Keeping week. Fun of me again. Um, it's just what I'm doing today. I had my third cup of coffee today, so I'm feeling good. Um, but also for prayer requests, my sister-in-law, she is getting her own business up and running and just pray that it would be successful. Um, she's a been a midwife for a long time and now she's sort of, she's still going to continue to be a midwife, but now she's going to be owning her own midwifery or whatever mm-hmm. it's called um, with a couple other women in other sort of specialties working with her and for her. So. Pray that would be successful. Mm-hmm. It would be wonderful. She's a great midwife. Um, so I hear.
2: She's I know. How do you know? Us,
1: but <laughs> she's a good, good woman. So I'm sure she's a fine midwife. Um,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> so just lasting before we get into the news, we were at church this weekend and or last weekend, I'm sorry. And this young lady came up after our service. So the way our church works is we go in and do like the normal church thing, and then we'll take a break and eat some snacks and lunch or whatever. And then we come back and do a Bible study. Well, instead of the Bible study this week, we had a young lady who is going on a missions trip, and she just wanted to come and present where she was going, why she was going, um, all that sort of stuff, which is really neat. You know, it's always, you know, humbling, I guess, to hear people going to do the Lord's work in dangerous places, and she's certainly doing that. But just listening to her talk about where she's going and like, you know, how she's prepared. I was just struck. I was like, this is the girl, like the dictionary definition of why Cardinal Solutions started. Um, And, you know, I talk to you guys about Cardinal Solutions every week. And this is a wonderful company. And as she was kind of going through what she's been doing to get prepared and all these sorts of things. I was like, man, there is so much stuff that Cardinal Solutions could do. To help her and her missions team prepare because you only know what you know and you don't know Mm -hmm. what you don't know. And in these places around the world that are so dangerous, Cardinal, they are the foremost experts on these places. This is the people that teach Green Berets and um, Air Force combat controllers that are going overseas. This is who teaches them and trains them on what to expect. Um, So she started talking, you know, she's like, Well, we got some training on. If we get taken hostage, and I was like, that's great, but kind of once you've been taken hostage, your time for like enacting your training has long since passed. Um, you're in survival mode at that point. Um, so the training comes before the hostage taking, and you know, obviously obviously I'm just a little bit joking. There's some training that can keep you alive, I suppose. But yeah, I was just like, this girl, she could use cardinal solutions. So, if you know anybody in the missions field, church field, um, Cardinal Solutions, I'm certain, has a solution for you. And whatever that is, whether it's a missions trip, whether it's active shooter training for your church, you know, preparing for mm-hmm. the next BLM riot outside your front yeah. door, they got something for you. So, links will be in the description. Go give them a look if you are interested. I think you would be pleased. So, all right, we got a long episode, and we're gonna to try to get to our Bible topics soon. So normally our episodes, and I don't want to scare you guys off. You see the timestamp already, so you know how long the episode is. God willing, it's not terribly long. But normally our podcasts, when we put our notes together, are about seven to nine pages long of notes with you know news articles and stuff. This one is fourteen, um, so. You're obviously watching it, listening to it, so the timestamp didn't scare you, but there are so many notes because we wanted to be very sure about what we were talking about because this topic is very important to us. Mm -hmm. Um, Nikki was very, very passionately and ferociously typing away (laughs) over this episode, unlike any podcast we've done before. You know, normally she's pretty involved, but it's like... It'll take a little bit of poking and prodding to get her fully engaged in the episode. Mm -hmm. But this one, like, you couldn't hold her back. Like, I was up, I got a new laptop. So if you see, if you're watching the video in the studio, looks a little bit different. We're going through some change in the studio right now. And I'm, like, trying to get my new laptop set up, ready to go to go record. And she's just laying in bed and she's like, take down this note take down this note. And it's like every sentence she reads, take down this note. And I'm like, Nikki, I can't just write the entire article. We can just pull it up and read it. No, take this note (laughs) down. So she was fired up for this and that's good. We actually, yeah, I don't think we've ever read and prepared for notes like we have for this. So hopefully it's good. We'll see. A lot of work.
0: We did do a lot of work.
1: But anywho, before we get to the good stuff, we got to get to the bad stuff. And that is our weekly trek through the sh- valley of the shadow yeah. of death. I almost messed it up again. <laughs> um, but luckily, I think it's going to be hopefully a little bit shorter than normal. So obviously, Ukraine and Russia still at war. Um, whatever, that's still going on. But um, in case you're worried, you don't have to worry. President Biden went over to Brussels this week. To meet with our NATO allies. So I'm sure they've smoothed everything out and this war will be over, lickety split, and everything will work out well in the end. Uh, But he also did make time while he was there to mention that he is very much looking forward to running against Donald Trump in 2024. So if you are a big fan of the way things have been progressing so far, you may be lucky enough to get. Six and a half more years of President Biden. So that's something. Um, And then in that vein, if that wasn't enough good news for you, just tickles my heart. There is a European parliamentarian. (laughs) who I don't know the whole story and I'm not going to read it. But he called Justin Trudeau a disgrace to his face. And that is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Because if I wasn't such a godly man, I might feel like saying something like that. But instead, I would just say a prayer for him.
0: Yeah, hold your tongue.
1: (laughs) So that's pretty good um, because he is a, a dictator, as it says here, of the worst kind. And the people of Canada deserve, well, I don't know, maybe they don't deserve better. They elected him for God's sake, so maybe they're getting what they deserve, right? I would wish better for them.
0: I don't think it's wrong to say he's a disgrace.
1: I think he's, I don't know.
0: I don't think that was unChristian. You said it. Uh,
1: it just depends, I guess, on the setting um, and the okay. tone, I suppose. <laughs> and the tone, a lot of things. Who knows? <laughs>
0: Say it in love,
1: you know, truth and with love. Well, there's kids around. I don't know. But anyways, <laughs> the next story here, and this one comes from the world of sports. So if you're kind of that last remaining holdout that still watches ESPN, they haven't uh, turned you off completely yet. Uh, which is pretty amazing. Um, But if you're still supporting them with your eyeballs, you probably have seen, I think it was last week, the broadcasters, like the color analysts for the game, uh, or actually I think they're the sideline analysts. I don't know who they were. For ESPN, they held a moment of silence for the LGBTQIA+, as they said, um, community. They took a moment of silence during one of the NCAA tournament basketball games to show their solidarity with that community in response to, as they say, Florida's don't say gay bill, um, which is actually the Florida Parental Rights and Education Act bill. So it doesn't sound quite as awful as the don't say gay bill, but I guess it's not quite as catchy either. It doesn't yeah. get you fired up the right way. Um, but the reason why I wanted to highlight this is not so much for them, but ESPN, as that article said, they came out and issued a statement supporting the LGBT community um, and their parent company is Disney. So Disney, in conjunction with ESPN, has promoted this statement supporting the LGBT community and pushing back on Florida for their Parental Rights and Education Act. So I think this is important because essentially what ESPN is doing here, the stand that they're taking here is that they support perverts grooming your children for sexually immoral lifestyles because the ban here that this bill is implementing is to essentially not allow sexual um, ideology, gender ideology talk for young children in elementary schools. Mm Mm-hmm. So, to be opposed to that is to say, no, no, we want
2: yeah.
1: perverts to teach your children about sexually immoral lifestyles at a very young age. Because, I mean, make no mistake, if you're an adult that wants to talk to elementary school kids about their sexual identity and their gender identity, you're a pervert. Yeah. Um, so, to support that means you're supporting those perverts. So, um, if that's not enough to make you turn off ESPN's programming for good, I don't know what will. I don't
0: know what will. Yeah.
1: But I think that that's a pretty awful stance for ESPN to take. Not surprising. Um, they've been it's trending really in this bad. direction for a long time, but certainly pretty awful there. Um. Also in the world of sports, a big win for Team Novaks. Not Novak Djokovic. Talking about no vaccine. Uh, Kyrie Irving. Uh, We've talked about this before, but Kyrie Irving beat New York City and the NBA. Um, Mm -hmm. They have reversed course, and the mayor of New York is allowing, out of his gracious, ever-loving kindness, he's allowing Kyrie Irving to play basketball professionally again um, in the city of New York. So the way the story's been going is um, professional athletes, Athletes in New York City were unable to play in their home stadiums unless they were vaccinated. And Kyrie Irving is basically the last major, you know, real holdout, at least in the NBA. So Mm -hmm. for most of the season, he was banned from playing. His team didn't let him play. So he missed the first couple months of the season. Eventually, they recanted on that a little bit, and they allowed him to play road games because he still couldn't play home games. And then just over the last week or two, I think, the mayor has come under a lot of heat because they relaxed the restrictions on the city, but the pro athletes still couldn't play. So Kyrie Irving, mm-hmm. you know, there's video of him. He was in the stadium or in the arena, in the fans, like, or in the stands, I'm sorry, like dapping up fans. He went into the locker room after the game with the team, but he couldn't play. And even the other players like Kevin Durant were like, dude, this is so stupid that he's here, but he can't play. Like, doesn't yeah. make any sense. So, um, and of course it doesn't make any sense, right? So they finally, they've recanted. Um, The city of New York lost. Um, Kyrie Irving won, and that is good news, but it's also sad. Mm -hmm. And it's sad because this could have ended earlier, you know, if there were just a few more people like Kyrie Irving that had the spine to stand. And this goes for every industry and every area of our life that's been so affected by COVID lockdowns. If there would have just been more people that didn't cower, and because taking the NBA for example, it had to have been ninety percent of those guys didn't want the vaccine. They're right. they're young, immensely healthy, immensely wealthy. They can afford the best doctors, best right. supplementation, medication, all these sorts of things. There's no way any of them thought I'm at super high risk for coronavirus. But the NBA strong armed them; they caved. And they went and got it. And Kyrie Irving was basically the only one that said, no, I'm, I have beliefs and I'm not doing that. And he's finally won. But think how quick or how much earlier this could have ended um, if just a few more people would have stood up. If the superstar and right. every team would have said, yeah, I'm not putting that into my body. Like, I'm a well-tuned machine right now and I'm not in- injecting myself with something I don't know It would have ended immediately, but so it's a bit disappointing that more people don't stand um, because the thing about it is if you are unwilling to stand now when the cost is maybe scorn at work, maybe a layoff from your job, you're not going to stand later when the stakes are higher. Um, And as Christians, we know the stakes will get higher. Um, You know, losing your job is... Nothing compared to what's coming. So if you, yeah, and I'm not to throw everybody under the bus because everyone's situation is different. I get that. There's sick children, sick family members. You did what you had to do to be around them and see them and take care of them. And I get that. There's a million different reasons. But for those that just sort of capitulated because it was easier than standing, um, I don't think it's ever going to get easier to stand than it was now. So, um,
0: yeah, th- if people just knew that, that it wasn't going to be over with, like this isn't like things like this are going to happen again.
1: And it's going to get, I mean, we know the end of the book, right? Revelation has been written. We know that it gets worse.
0: Yeah. These kinds of things, these threats are going to be happening. No buying selling. So there and will selling, come a time when, yeah, no you can't working. buy and
1: sell or work. You can't do anything. Yeah. So if a simple losing your job is enough to make you cave, you know, I would say pray, Repent. Um, You know, Christians are called to be men and women of faith and not fear. Um, So this is a bit disheartening that it took this long, but I'm glad to see Kyrie Irving stood up and won. Um, Aaron Rodgers did as well recently. He signed a massive contract with the Green Bay Packers despite all of his COVID um, issues. And that's good to see. Um, And the next story that we want to touch on is sort of in the realm of Christianity. Christianity. So I want to touch on this one because I think it's important. And everyone I'm sure is aware that Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson is going through her confirmation hearings at the, in the Senate right now. And obviously, it's just a show, right? All of our politics are just a game. But it's important for the reason, and in this article here, um, which again, all these articles will be linked, you can go check them out. But they make note here that Jackson describes herself as a Protestant and a non-denominational Christian. Um, mm. So if you are tuned in at all to what's going on in her hearing, you know that just recently she claimed that she was unable to define what a woman is. Um, and she's obviously, because President Biden appointed her, she's obviously pro abortion rights. She's not in the business of putting an end to Roe v. Wade. So, mm-hmm. just those two issues alone, I would say from my perspective, she's not a Christian. I would say like most politicians, she mm-hmm. wears her Christianity as um something to further her in her career.
2: Right. Because
1: it doesn't do well in America at least today. This is probably going to change to just come right out and say you're an atheist. You know, it still wears well to say, well, I'm a Christian, even though nothing I do or say has any hint of Christianity. And this is what I think from her, because there's no way you can say I'm a Protestant, whatever, a Catholic, a Protestant, you know, a Mormon. I don't care what it is. You can't say that you hold to that faith, but you can't define what a woman is. Because as a Protestant, you would know God created them. As you see right here, Genesis 3, 27, male and female, he created them. Um, so you don't have to give a biologist's explanation of what a woman is. You could just say it's the opposite of man. It's how God created them. Mm-hmm. They have women, private parts. They can carry babies and nurse. There's a million different she, definitions. She her reason
0: for not defining it, she said, I'm not a biologist.
1: She claimed that she couldn't define what a woman is because she's not a biologist. Um, which is just a deflection that she doesn't want to upset
2: Yeah, the LGBTQ community.
1: Um, And that's not why President Biden appointed her. He would not have appointed her to the Supreme Court if she was a staunch pro-life Christian. Yeah. Because he's not a staunch pro-life Christian. So he wouldn't support somebody that felt that way. And I think it's important for us as Christians to be aware of this because this is the sort of woman that is going to be presented to the wider swath of America as a Christian. Right. You know she's a black woman, so obviously the media's fallen all over themselves to praise her, and now they can say this is what a Christian looks like. See, she's pro-life, she's pro-LGBT, or she's pro-choice, she's pro-LGBTQ. You know they brought up that she was soft on pedophilia, um, in those crimes, which wow. you know if you pedophilia is coming, I mean I don't know how else to say it so prepare Things yourself don't just for that. stay
0: the same they're gonna get better or they're gonna get worse there is no like point where we say this is as bad as it gets and no because the, you the path we're on it's getting worse like i don't see anything really
1: you can't make changing. it better because <laughs> the thing is is once you buy into all these other lies and you use them to sort of further your own careers you know hey men and women are the same you can be Whatever, you know, gay and lesbian is just the same as being normal. It's the way you're born. Like, you can't go down that road so far and then say, but pedophilia is off limits.
2: Because if it's just about
1: how you're born and how you feel, well, hey, pedophilia, uh, pedophiliacs, just feel it. They were born that way. So who are you to say that's wrong now and I have to stop? So it's going to come eventually. They're trying to soften us up to it. Um, If you listen to Jason Whitlock, which I've talked to you guys about, he always says the plus in LGBTQ. IA plus stands for a silent P and that P is pedophilia.
2: Oh wow! That's their
1: end game, um, which why wouldn't it be, right? They're godless perverts. So why wouldn't they be looking for kids? Um, so I think it's important. But then just kind of as we move on from this story, I think the last point to sort of highlight that she's not a Christian for me, um, like you're in the den of vipers when you're sitting before the Senate any, anybody in the Senate, I mean, there's probably no more concentration of wickedness in our country than in our houses of Congress. That's true. So you're sitting there, the whole world is watching you on TV, and you have an opportunity to share the gospel, to speak on God. You know, the Apostle Peter tells us to be ready in season and out mm-hmm. of season to give a defense of our faith, and she she just avoids it. What is a woman You have an opportunity to say, listen, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. I believe he created a male and female, Mm -hmm. but she chose her job over God. Um, That's something she's going to have to reckon with if she is a believer, which I would doubt. But if she is, she's going to have to reckon with that. Um, Mm -hmm. And not to mention, you know, the fact that she supports abortion and all that. So the fact that you're sitting there with this golden opportunity to share the good news, at least to simply say, I believe that there's a God. But just to skip it, to blow past it, because she's not a Christian, she's a politician, in my view. So just shameful. But just be aware of that because you're going to hear it. Your kids are going to hear it. Look at this great Christian on the Supreme Court. And you got to be wise enough to say, no, 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 she's not a Christian. She's, you know, we'll get to her later again. We'll see. Mm-hmm. But then the last topic, just to move along quickly here, I don't want to belabor this one. I just found it interesting But this one is um, Brian Houston from Hillsong Church resigned. Hillsong, obviously a very big church, mega church, if you will, from Australia. Um, They've got a lot of campuses all over the world. They've got quite a few here in America. Uh, But two things on this. I didn't actually realize how many issues Hillsong has had in their churches with their pastors and leaders and sexual sin. It's been
0: going on. Like There's been news articles about it before, you mean?
1: Yeah, I mean, we we were familiar, and we might have even talked about Carl Lentz. Um, he was probably the more famous one in America because he was the pastor of Hillsong, New York. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe he was a good buddy with Justin Bieber, if you will. That's who <laughs> Justin Bieber, I think, came to faith under was Carl Lentz. I could okay. be off on that. But, yeah, there was a lot of issues of you know sexual sin and stuff like that within— the pastors of Hillsong, and obviously it finally got to the big dog, Brian Houston, sort of the lead pastor for all of right, Hillsong. Um, but what I find more interesting, and I'd love to just get your guys' opinion on this, because the Bible tells us about, you know, biblical correction for pastors and Christians and about, you know, reconciling them, bringing them back in, but you never hear it, right? It's always like, hey, a pastor has some issue a falling out. And then they just cut and run, they resign, they bounce, and they're gone. and I'm really just curious if you guys have ever heard a story where a pastor actually sat through correction mm-hmm. and returned to the church, maybe a bit disgraced, but rebuilt his name.
0: Well, maybe they got correction somewhere else because the congregation, a lot of the people are probably upset, and it would just cause more of a problem for him to stay because maybe maybe they can't all forgive. It was just, it would just cause division for him to stay.
1: It could be. So he might sit
0: under correction, but go somewhere else to get help, you know?
1: Yeah. I just, I'd be interested to hear if you guys know of any stories like this where a pastor, it doesn't have to be a mega pastor or a mega church pastor, just anybody that actually sat through correction and Mm -hmm. came back to the faith. That would be interesting to hear because you never hear it. Um, but that leads us, we're going to cut the news a bit short today and get right into our Bible topic. Um, and we have mentioned this Bible topic to you guys last week, but there wasn't enough time to fully dive into it. Oh, man. So I'm glad we, we didn't try to. <laughs> yeah, we just sort of s- touched the surface of that one last mm-hmm. time. So this, again, comes from Christianity Today, or as we call it, Today's Christianity. Um, we always and,
0: have an issue with them.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, it's... I mean, they're a progressive Christian outlet, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah. But, so this was called Reimagining Biblical Womanhood, and it was a conference that they put on. I think it was a Zoom conference kind yeah. of a thing. Um, but it was a conference with f- four women. Yeah. Um, a moderator and, like, an MC kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah. So like I mentioned, I think Christianity Today is largely a progressive Christian institute, um, which is just basically, in my opinion, Christianity infected with social justice ideologies. And I think you see that all through Christianity Today, um, especially in the stuff they do big, you know, Um, so things like racial, sexual, gender, you know, all these different essentially Marxist ideologies, um, all the stuff that's taken hold in America here, I think they're big on. And just sort of applying those to the church is kind of progressive Christianity. It's really
0: showing up more and more how it's infected the church. It's like once the damage is done, it's like, oh, now you see it. Like you didn't see it when it was just slowly creeping in. It's like it's here full blown. Yeah. And we're like, when did this happen?
1: And that's why, I mean, I just think as Christians in the world we live in today, I think we should be resolute in not accepting lies or half-truths or mistruths anywhere we see them, which is why we try to point these stories out,
2: Mm -hmm. like
1: uh, Judge Jackson. Because if you buy it just a little bit and you accept it a little bit, it just continues to snowball and snowball till it blows up in your face. And you're like, man, why didn't I see that? Why didn't I say something earlier? So you got to see it Mm. and stand against it from the moment you notice it. and I think that needs right. to become more steadfast in us, like with everything. Don't call um the transgender person he or she. you know if they if it's a guy that goes to a girl, don't say I'm going to call her she because it's her pronoun. No, stand against lies and stand for truth. We have mm-hmm. to be people that do that now. so um
0: well, that's why I don't have any persecution in our country because we don't stand against.
2: we just go with
1: whatever Satan's throwing at us. We're like, well, it's more comfortable. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so Christianity today, I think being progressive, you know, they give a platform to the Jamar Tisby's of the world, you know, to push like their racial justice, Christianity. Um, And then here they're Mm -hmm. giving this platform to these women, um, as you'll see, and we believe, to sort of push gender justice, if you will, um, into the Christian space. Mm -hmm. So I think it's dangerous because, you know, where the Bible teaches that there's neither Jew nor Greek, it says uh, there is neither slave nor free. There's no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's Galatians 3.28. I think progressive Christianity along, you know, Christianity today and these women, they seek to sort of institute the same kind of divide and conquer strategy that progressive politicians that have been yeah. really trying to implement for decades or probably you centuries. Just be,
0: you can't just be a Christian. You're like, well, I'm an oppressed Christian. I'm a,
2: yeah.
1: you
0: know, this race of a Christian, or I'm a, I'm a woman. You can't just be unified in Christ. No, Somebody's got to be oppressed. Of to
1: like, yeah, to separate and divide so that you can sort of work your angle into like a place of greater authority. You know, because yeah. it's the same thing politicians do, right? Divide the whole country in a million different issues so that you can weasel your way into continuing to stay in power or grab mm-hmm. more power for yourself. And I think we're starting to see that here in the church. Um, and in my opinion, I think it's satanic. And I think it seeks to sort of break up the body of Christ into smaller and, again, more mm-hmm. easily overcomable segments. Yeah,
0: It's just lies. And they can't be proven like, to the level that they're saying it's at.
1: No, and it's always hard to necessarily nail it down. Because, and as we will go through this, you know, at least with these women and the Jamar Tisby's that I mentioned before, they're very educated people. They're very intelligent. So they don't ever just come right out and go, I hate white men and I want to be in charge. You that's know? what you hear though. <laughs> but so you got to cut through the noise and be like, oh, so that's what you're kind of saying. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it's satanic largely. Um, and I think it also, with this progressive Christian identity. It seeks to place certain identities as higher than your identity in Christ. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'm not a Christian, I'm a black Christian. I'm a female Christian. Or as you'll see here, I'm a Cuban Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is dangerous because it sets yourself apart from the rest of the body. You're somehow different and more special. It's
0: like they think that Christianity is the white man's religion. So that's why... They keep claiming that. They keep saying it, although... It didn't stem from...
1: It did not. It did not. (laughs) But as we go through this biblical womanhood conference, we had a lot of ideas of how we wanted to get through it. Um, So what I think we're going to try to do is point out um, that these women espouse at least some, if not most, of the eight points of progressive Christianity. And I pulled up here the list of progressive Christianity. And we'll kind of point these out as we go through their statements, where we think they're applicable. Um, and we'll read them off as we kind of point them out. If you can't, if you're not watching and you're just listening, um, but also it'll be in the show notes. You can go read up and this isn't made up. This is from progressive <laughs> Like these are their principles. So, um, kicking things off, uh, this conference, Reimagining Biblical Womanhood, was part of Christianity Today's, like, they call it their Big Ten initiative. And I just want to read what the MC, I think, is kind of the position she was filling. Her name's Kelly Trio. Um, what she said about this, and or about the whole initiative, she said, Our monthly series of webinars, which is what this was, it was a webinar, springs out of our Big Ten initiative. Which is part of our effort to better represent the growing racial, ethnic, and uh, generational diversity of North American church, and to foster unity among Christ's followers. Um, So, looking at this chart, I would say that's progressive Christian, progressive Christianity. Point three and five. So point three says seek community that is inclusive of all people, including but not limited to. Um, conventional Christians and questioning skeptics, believers and agnostics, women and men, those of all sexual orientations and gender identities, those of all classes and abilities. And then mm. point number five says, find grace in the search for understanding and belief. There is more value in uh, questioning than in absolutes. So I think they, at least those two probably tie to more. Um, but then again, I think their Big Ten initiative, where they're trying to bring unity, I think it just brings division at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, so again, I would say Christianity Today's Big Ten initiative is largely created to divide Christians rather than unify them. Yeah. That would be my take.
0: Definitely trying to tear down the way God designed things. That's what yeah. they're doing.
1: Because f- when you're focusing on everything besides someone's identity in Christ, you're dividing. Um, Mm-hmm. So, but then the MC, she moves on, uh, kind of pushes the conversation along. And the way that we're going to kind of work through this is we're just going to take each woman on the conference and grab a couple of points that they talked about and how we disagree with it. Um, there's a lot in this uh, in this conference, in the transcripts. You can read it. It'll be in the show notes. You can listen to it if you prefer that. Um, so we aren't going to cover everything. And it's going to be a little bit out of order as we go through because we're just going to be taking each woman um, one at a time. So uh, the first one that she starts with, she pushes it along to Joyce Dalrymple, who is sort of the moderator for the entire webinar. Mm-hmm. And she's a pastor at Wellspring Alliance Church. And she's also a podcast host for Christianity Today um, So, yeah, again, we're going to go through each woman individually, um, a few of the things that they said, and then where we disagree, we're going to try to show you how they tie into progressive Christianity, what that connection is, um, and just also what we think the dangers are in what Mm -hmm. they're saying. Um, And then at the very end of this, we're going to try to give our explanation or try to highlight for you what biblical womanhood, because Quite frankly, these women never do it in the entire you webinar. You don't learn
0: it. Yeah. Very they, disappointing if that's what you thought this was all about.
1: <laughs> yeah. They didn't touch on it at all. Um, so before we dive into the first point, honey, is there anything you want to just go into right now?
0: Yeah. Just kind of a little, I can talk about like the their overall goal in this. So just the title of reimagining biblical womanhood, it is a reimagined thing, but it has nothing to do with biblical womanhood whatsoever. If you listen to it, you're gonna be like, that didn't, yeah, that didn't make any sense with the title. So um, these women are convincing you, or women, trying to convince women that we have all been oppressed in the church, uh, that we've been taught that there's something wrong with our bodies. I've never been taught that, but maybe it's because I'm white. So maybe that's why.
2: You're living a privileged <laughs> life, honey.
0: Yeah. Sorry, I'm just joking around, kind of. Um, but I was just thinking it's that same serpent voice in the garden that God is holding something back from you and that you can be like God and you don't need a man, this whole thing with authority they're on. But these women don't like being under authority, which you'll get from listening to it. They hate the way that God designed women. His order, you know, the male headship and the women, but the husband is under Christ. We'll go over those verses anyway, because they didn't. Um, So I was just thinking this is pure feminism and it's just taking over the church, uh, trying to make women feel empowered to be equal or better than men in ministry. And I know this is similar to just the world but it's just um it's just feminism into the church they just want to be empowered in uh spiritual authority here now
1: yeah because they'll couch it in Mm -hmm. the idea that like well in order to reach women that look like me we need a pastor that looks like them like somehow a white man can't possibly preach the gospel to reach a woman of color yeah so you need a woman of color yeah you know and this is the same thing you see with uh judge jackson on the supreme court right their idea is like, well, we need a black woman on the Supreme Court to show other young black women that they can achieve. and, do, and It's you're a like, weird
0: idea. You're like, didn't to...
1: Judge Jackson achieve without having a black woman on the Supreme Court? Apparently it works. So, yeah, it's definitely feminism, that yeah. whole mindset. So when you're
0: listening to this or you're watching it, or whatever you're reading it, just be very discerning um, because – they are very educated, like Spencer said. Like, at first time you listen, it might be hard to argue. We went back over and we'd comb through it and we're like, oh, this stands out to me now. Wow, look at this. We didn't I mean, see this the first time around.
1: I mean, it wasn't hard me because
0: I'm a man. And I have a bigger <laughs> brain than no, all No, I of was things. the
1: one going over <laughs> it
0: all. You <laughs> But yeah, at first listen or first read through, like, you pick up things more and more each time and you realize how wicked it is that, what they're really sowing in all this. And so it's just, just this is just the world's issues um, coming into the church. And um, they don't see submission to husbands and raising children as glory, glorifying God. And so they talk about biblical womanhood in a way that sounds oppressive. So that's the only time they really touch on biblical womanhood is a negative light that it's not biblical, it's oppressive. and. So I think they feel like they're glorifying God better by being successful in church ministries outside the home. So when they're first introduced on the show, it's all their, all the things that they've done, the books they've written, their titles, positions, and at the end, they're a wife and a mother. So that's the glory that they get you don't know biblical womanhood for them it's just the wife and uh mother part isn't part of it they don't discuss it really
1: no they don't discuss so biblical womanhood really at all in here
0: yeah it's just a power trip yeah pretty much the whole thing so yeah they didn't bring up any scripture to support the views on biblical womanhood there's no scripture brought up and the one they do bring up they twist but we'll get to that too. Um uh, they talk about other cultures and well-known names that aren't Christian as their point of reference and they yeah, they didn't bring up any women from scriptures that they get their ideas from. You know, they kind of vaguely like mention but they don't say a name. They don't give like a story in the Bible um that they're learning from. So their main argument wasn't even about biblical womanhood. It was just about women being leaders. In such a way that says, I can do anything a man can, to- can do, and there's nothing wrong with my body. I'm capable, just like a man. And that's the heart of feminism, really.
2: Right, and
1: it's that's such it. a dumb argument, too, because men, especially godly men, they, they would never say you can't. No one's saying that women can't do what men can do. We're saying God did not ordain you to do what men can do. It's not right. that you physically can't or that you mentally can't. It's that God defined roles when he created man and woman. That's just the way it is. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, so it's a, it's a made-up argument um, that we allow for some reason to keep furthering um, and people to keep using. I can do whatever you can do. You're like, okay, sure, mm-hmm. but, like, you shouldn't.
0: Yeah, and the way <laughs> that so they awkward. talk about their calling, they're so hung up on this term. This is my calling. I know this is what God wants me to do. And it's just like, well, but you have this right here. Like they don't see being home, you know, the biblical, the real biblical motherhood. They don't see that as a calling. They see something else as a calling. And that's that's the issue there is it's okay for women to go and pursue things in the church But it's the way that they view it and they're training you to view biblical womanhood as oppressive. Um, So they're talking about church abuse and all that, but they don't have any stories of where they were abused or shunned or whatever. Like, they didn't have any obstacles. Like, they're trying to talk about their obstacles in, you know, whatever it took for them to get where they're at now. There was no obstacles brought up. There were things that offended them. But... Yeah, there was no offended. obstacle And largely
1: their offense was made up in their own mind from what it sounds like. Yeah. Is into.
0: Yeah. So they're all oppressed. They want you to believe that they were oppressed. Yeah. And they weren't.
1: They weren't from our <laughs> uh, take. And as we get ready to really dive into each of these points here, again, please, if you think we're off base, let us know. Correct us. Again, we're reading this from two uh, super um, well-off... Treated better than the rest of the world, white people. Um, so, what do we really know at the end of the day? I'm a white male evangelical, so I'm the worst of the worst. So, mm-hmm. um, there's no possible way I could understand any of this. So, if we're off base, please come and let us know. Uh, we want to talk about this stuff with you guys. If you have a different take on biblical womanhood, uh, please come share it with us. So, um, but like Nikki mentioned, you know, the por- an important thing to bring up here as you read through this talk, is that, yeah, they don't reference a single woman from the Bible outside of Eve, uh, because one of the women wrote a book on Eve, or the gospel according to Eve, I think. But then they don't bring up any Bible verses to support their biblical womanhood outside of one verse they bring up that they twist horribly, as we'll get into. Um, So, diving into this conference, um, let me pull it up here real quick. And if you want to just read this first paragraph,
2: Mm -hmm. this is
1: just an opening um, paragraph from the article. Yeah,
0: so the conference, or at least the article, opens stating, From patriarchal interpretations of scripture to contemporary incidents of church to abuse, Christian women often are treated as second-class citizens in the church. Yet throughout history, it has been their tireless contributions that have kept Christianity vital and active in society. The whole church suffers when women's voices are silenced, and both men and women miss out when women are unable to fully develop and exercise their gifts in the church.
1: Yeah, so right here, I mean, just from the very jump, uh, it looks like to me they're uh, highlighting progressive Christianity point four, and that's sort of what this conference is aiming to fix. Um, it says, Know that the way we behave towards one another is the fullest expression of what we believe. So, we need to treat each other better to prove what we really believe. Um, Mm
0: -hmm. So, they are highlighting here progressive Christian. Yeah, I think it's
1: Christianity point number four, is what I think here.
0: Okay. So, they are beginning to view themselves as second class citizens because they allow the world to speak louder than scripture. And this statement speaks as though Christianity wouldn't have survived apart from them.
1: Yeah. I think that's the way it reads to me. Like, Hey, we we live in the world and the way that we see the world behaving, we're just going to inject that into Christianity. Yep. Um, and somehow like Christianity wouldn't have thrived without a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-gender, um, group of women. Like, christianity i mean god's church is gonna survive it's just a weird way to talk about it so it is
0: weird because at the same time it's like they reject scripture it's like yeah we all had a part in thriving but we don't believe anything it says
1: (laughs) and just to be clear like these topics and this isn't just about biblical womanhood but this goes into all of social justice and all the stuff that you hear these arguments largely only work in america um where we are the most Mm -hmm. diverse country in the world, because you could take everything that these women say and then go. So apparently there's no Christian in China. There's no Christian in Scandinavia. There's no Christian in Russia or central Africa because there is no multi-ethnicity. There is men are in complete control. Like, so if you're telling me that like all of this is what has to take place for Christianity to thrive, then it can't thrive anywhere. It shouldn't even, even if, thrived in ancient Israel with the Jews because they were all just Jews, right? So this is an argument. All of social justice only works in America because of how diverse we are. Mm
2: -hmm. It's a
1: place where you can only make a living off of social justice, justice offense is in America. So just keep that in mind as you go through this stuff. But the first person that we want to look at here, um, is Joyce. She's the moderator, as we said, a pastor, um, And she starts this conversation or the conference off. If you want to read that first statement, she says.
0: Yeah, she says this conversation about women has probably been going on since the beginning of time. Yet I also sense that we're living in a unique moment in time where women are speaking up about maybe ways they felt dismissed or been wounded in the church. And as these things are coming to light, I think the crucial question is, how are we going to respond
1: yeah, so this is how she sets it up. And I agree with her on this statement here, right? Like we're living in a unique time. Yeah. But the uniqueness of the time is we're living in a time where Satan and his children have like an ironclad grip on global communications and access to information. Um, and because of this, you know, un- unique position that we're in, silencing God's truth and promoting false, um, you know, versions of the truth, That wide road of Christianity is easier now more than ever. So I think that's the uniqueness of our time. Um, But then one of the things going into Joyce that she did that I didn't like um, is basically the way that she essentially tries to coax the audience into accepting this idea that these women are oppressed. Um, But again, if you read this or you listen to it, you'll see that they really have no oppression to speak of. So the first question that she asked the panel to sort of start the conversation, she says, so I thought I would begin by asking each of you about how you overcame an obstacle as a woman seeking to pursue your calling, either in ministry or academia. Like, listen, audience, they're going to tell you how tough their road was. So pay attention. Um, You know, basically, let me set the stage for this conference by highlighting for everyone watching and listening. That you've been oppressed. But so, with,
0: if she wouldn't have, like, started it that way, you would have heard their story and you wouldn't have thought oppression.
1: You'd have been like, oh, you grew up? Crazy. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Ugh. So it's just funny. But, um, yeah, <sighs> she's she definitely goes out of her way to set the stage, and that's not the only time. Um, and then another point where she sort of does this same thing, setting the stage, um, she sets the table for oppression for this girl named Kat. Um, Mm -hmm. and she just really, I think this time more than any time, she really just like serves it up for the audience. Mm -hmm. Um, she says at last, I want to turn to you, Kat. (laughs) Kat as a woman of color. I feel like there's an intersectionality of gender and race and things that you've probably faced and had to overcome. What has it been like for you? (laughs) Give me a break. So Again, looking at the progressive Christianity chart here, I think you can definitely see point three here again, you know, seeking to be inclusive of all people. But then I would say you could probably see point four and eight here. Again, knowing that the way we behave towards one another is a full expression of what we believe. And then that point number eight, commit to a path of lifelong learning, compassion, and selfless love. Um, So I definitely think you can see a few of those points here. And the thing with Kat is you watch this and read it like her skin color is different than others. She's Cuban and she lets you know it um, quite often, you know, but here Joyce is like, oh, you were born in a different part of the world. You're a woman, right? Everyone, let her tell you how hard it's been for her.
0: She talks about the way she was raised and I'm like, yeah, like there's a lot of people I know who are white evangelicals, like. They were raised the same way. It isn't just going on in your race.
1: No, and that's the stupid argument with racial justice and all this is we all largely live the same life. Like, yes. Just because your skin color is different and you talk a different language, largely it doesn't. She's so just kind of saying difference. that all
0: white evangelicals have a male leader in the home.
1: Yeah, because like, it's not like how we sheltered just... are you? <laughs> We didn't, like, just come out of slavery. You know, it's not like 1875 and, like, things are still crazy because it just ended. No, I mean, everyone's largely lived the same life in America. It's just
0: weird how she acted like it was a shock.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's weird. But, like, hard to adjust um, to
0: or something.
1: The thing about Joyce, though, like, so rather than pointing out this sort of amazing fact and setting this table that, like somebody like Kat from such a different and unique background is this Cuban immigrant, you know, and how we can still share so many similarities as brothers and sisters in Christ. No, instead, right. She's like, let's highlight all the differences that sets you apart and then put you on a platform because of it. And as you go through this, I would say Kate is a race idolater. Um, and I don't think that this, you know, exaltation by Joyce is going to do her any favors in the long run. Um, Nope. And I just wanted to sort of, when I was thinking about Kate and Joyce. Cat. Or Cat, yeah, I'm sorry. It made me think of Judge Jackson again, because I can very easily envision a day very soon um, where Christianity Today will have Judge Jackson on to discuss her Christian faith. And they won't ask her a single question about, you know, hey, why didn't you stand up for your faith when the whole world was watching all this? Aren't you, you know, are you ashamed of Jesus? They won't ask any of that, Right. Instead, they would ask, you know, how many obstacles did you overcome as a woman to get to the Supreme Court? You know, how many people oppressed you? You're a woman. It's really hard. And more than that, you're a black woman. Oh, my God, that's super hard, right? You know, they won't ask her to explain where Christ carried her, you know, when, just like he did for all of us at different times, right? Where can we find common ground?
0: Nothing what they said, like, pointed to the glory of God. Like, they didn't give God credit for anything.
1: No, other than giving them a calling. Give me a calling and get out of my way. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so I just, I could see that with Judge Jackson. Um, But is there any last thing that you would want to say about Joyce? I don't think she did much of anything that was unifying, mostly just divisive and sort of setting this plate for divisiveness. Yeah,
0: you can tell this whole thing was set up just based on the questions, the things that Joyce, the moderator, would how she worded things when she would ask the questions or how she'd comment afterwards. Yeah, yeah. you can totally tell what the messages they're trying to get across.
1: But so that first girl that she was kind of talking to really serving up some racial softballs to, was Kat. So that's who we'll dive into next, Kat Aramis. Um, let me see if I can get her picture for you right here. Mm-hmm. Um, she is the proud author of the book, Abuelita Faith, What Women on the Margins Teach Us About Wisdom, Persistence, and Strength. And it sits at the intersection of women, scripture, Cuban identity. Um, So that's fascinating. Um, But again, I think she's a race idolater. As you talk Mm -hmm. or go through this, race seems to be of immense importance to her. I kind of liken her to another Christianity Today favorite, which is Jamar Tisby, Um, you know, and just sort of all those BLM like race hustlers out there. Um, I think her Cuban identity means a ton to her.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, like, well, the quote we mentioned earlier from Joyce, where she set Kat up as oppressed because of her race and gender. And well, Kat doesn't let that go because she responds. I'm so happy to be here and thank you for the invitation. I'm so glad that you brought that up because that was something that I wanted to talk about.
1: Yeah, like, oh, no kidding. You (laughs) really want to talk about your race and gender? Like, oh, who would have thought, right? The woman that wrote the book about Cuban identity. Oh, and it's about decolonialism as well. Cuban identity is not enough. So yeah, of course she wanted to talk about that. So,
0: Yeah, um, that was really obvious. Well, then she goes on to say, And so when I found myself in white evangelical spaces, like where are those?
1: They're everywhere. (laughs) They're in every crack and crevice.
0: And she goes on. And I was told by professors and by pastors, you know, that I needed a, you know, a man needed to lead me. I needed to fit into these roles or I needed to fit into these spaces. It just didn't make sense for me. So many women in my community They were the ones in those spaces and in those roles. Again, it's not just her. It's not just Cuban community. It's everywhere. Every culture has women raising kids on their own. The mom and the grandma, like she talks about, like she's like, no, this is how it was. It was women filling all the roles. Like, yeah, that's everywhere.
1: I know, a crazy, (sighs) completely out of the norm insane story. My mom was a single mother most of my life and the strongest religious influence in my life as a young, I know I'm a white male. I got it. It's bizarre to me too, but yet that's the truth. Um, And I think this is the crux of Kate's argument or Kat's argument and the argument that so many, not just in this conference, but just in the country and stuff are thrown at the church today. And I think as a church, we need to start coming up with Ideas and starting to have a stronger backbone to stand up against it. Um, Because if we don't, I think it's going to cause serious damage to the church. Mm -hmm. But like Kat and her ilk, they don't like that church has a structure, um, that it has boundaries, you know, sort of like the LGBTQ community, the feminist community, right? Like the racial community. They want church to look the way they want it to look. They don't want to conform to the way it is, Mm -hmm. it needs to conform to them. And that's pride, it's racial idolatry, um, and it's dangerous.
0: Yeah, basically what it sounds to me that she's saying is I need the church to look just like the secular world. Uh, That's how I grew up. And rather than changing myself to fit into this new identity called Christian, like they're separate, (laughs) I'm going to look to change all of church history and make it look how I want to look. And yeah, that does sound very selfish
1: no it certainly does and i think um you can see you know looking at this i think she's definitely in on chris or progressive christian point two and three here um two Mm. affirms that the teaching of jesus provide but one of many ways to experience the um, sacredness and oneness of life and that we can draw from the divine sources of wisdom in our spiritual journey and then obviously we talked about three before um So I definitely think you can see some progressive Christianity there. And then the last thing on Kat, um, because Joyce jumps back in and she asks this question of Kat. She says, uh, well, you can read it if you want.
0: Yeah, she says, I want you to. I want to go to you, Kat, now, and I think you are doing so much to bring to light voices from the margin. And I love this quote that I've heard you pose. And it's what what if the greatest theologians the world has ever known weren't really considered theologians and i think about how in jesus ministry he really lifts up the voices with the the voices of the marginalized women also who were kind of like on the outskirts and they were commended for their faith and they were examples for the disciples to learn from not always the disciples sometimes a lot of times it was for those pharisees
1: yeah they where would christian church have been without the marginalized women They certainly helped. She's trying to make them like the backbone. Um, But she goes on. She answers uh, again. She says, we think of formal education, right? We think of the man or the white man behind a pulpit or, you know, leading or teaching a classroom.
0: Why? Why does she think that, though? That's the question. Why? Why? Who taught them to think that way?
1: It's a good question. But I think, again, here, uh, I think you can see point three, again, coming out of that progressive Christianity. Uh, But I think also you can see point two and four here as well. Um, And just kind of touching back on what you had read, you know, from Joyce talking about, you know, there's a lot of theologians and stuff, you know, she's talking about. But I think two verses that I wanted to highlight here, because again, they don't talk about any verses from scripture at all. So we'll do them the favor of finding them for them. Um, James chapter three, verse one tells us that not many should become teachers, So maybe um, the apostle saw the value in a few sound teachers rather than just a plethora of half-informed teachers. I don't know. He was just an apostle. So what does he know? He was a man. So you can't really trust it. Um, But then also in Proverbs um, 8.22, where does she say this? I think we skipped over something she read.
2: Oh, that
0: one. Was oh, she said when something she talks about where we get wisdom from.
1: Yeah, let me find that quote real quick because she says something about. Um...
0: Well, she does say that wisdom is in, like, in people, and you can't fully um, understand the kingdom of God without um, getting to know. Um, people of different cultures and races. Yeah. You can't understand it on your own. So she's saying like one single race cannot fully understand the kingdom of God. That we need all each other and we have to be unified in like race and culture and we learn the kingdom of God from each other. So she's saying we're going to learn about it from one another because wisdom resides in individual people. Yeah. That's not in scripture.
1: No, yeah. She definitely made it seem, and she said, I think, the quote was that wisdom is, um, yeah, like wisdom is inherent inside us. Yeah. She said something it's like not. that. Um, <laughs> you'll have to check it out. I can't find it right now um, in a pinch. But I just wanted to highlight that because if you read the article and you see that, the Bible is quite clear, like wisdom is from the Lord. It's from yeah. God. Proverbs 8.22 tells us that wisdom is God's, uh, God's alone. It says, mm-hmm. the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. So wisdom is not inherent in ourselves. Nope. You know, if you have wisdom, it's from God. So I think this highlights, again, that progressive Christian point number two. Um, If you're keeping track here, sort of that Jesus's teachings provide a way, but that there's also other ways. Um, I think that's sort of what she's highlighting. Well, this kind of
0: went along with what you were saying earlier, because you were probably thinking on it, how other countries only have like one race, like how we're the most diverse country. That's why she can say that, that we need to get to know all the other cultures and we can't you know, think that we can understand the kingdom of God just between our little circle of white evangelicals. Yeah. She's like thinking you're missing out on the kingdom of God. You won't understand it or you can't get the wisdom unless you branch out and learn from other races about the oppression and all that, yeah. And
1: she makes many of those points in her talk here. We just didn't have time to pull them, but that's very
0: a new age thought that's not from scripture at all. It is very like this progressive Christianity.
1: No, because she goes on, she ends saying, um, that we have the most to learn about God from lived experience. Because these are the people in society that are out there surviving. Mm. And it's in that survival where you learn the most about God. No, it is not. That is flat out wrong. Um, and I don't. there's no other way yeah. to take it that's flat out wrong. So I pulled up here. Um, and I know, again, it's a man. But Charles Spurgeon's <laughs> catechism. And we'll have this linked down in the show notes. We've been reading through it with our kids. Um, but Charles Spurgeon, question number two. In his catechism says, what rule has God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him? Um, the word of God, which is contained in scripture. That is it. Your lived experiences are great, and they can certainly be of some use when you're sharing life together. But that is not the principal way you learn about God. The principal way you learn about God is scripture. Um, the There's a great quote from Martin Luther that Nikki posted on Facebook that, you know, he said basically like I've prayed that God wouldn't send me an angel or all these different things. He's like, I've prayed that God would give me a better understanding of Scripture so that I can know Him better. Yeah. Like basically saying like I don't need mysticism and spirits and all these sorts of things. Just let me understand Your Word because that's yeah. how I'll know You. Man. But not Cat. She needs to have a good conversation with another Cuban to have a full grasp on who God is. Um, which again kind of mocking, but plain and simple, that is wrong. Scripture is where you find out who God is and what he's like. Well, She was plain taught, obviously,
0: just from her comments about how she assumed these spaces where white evangelical pastors and teachers are, she had it in her head that that's where I'll find God. I don't know why she had it in her head that that's where she'd find God someone was feeding that to her someone in her life is racist (laughs) that's all i can say
1: i would imagine so but (laughs) um she wasn't the only one there was amanda who let me see if i can get her picture pulled up here we'll move on to amanda um amanda what's her name it is ben Cusin. amanda ben kusen right here um So she might get us back on track here, diving into the word, I'd imagine. I'm just kidding. She doesn't get us anywhere close. Um, So she starts the conference by saying, uh, I think I experienced all those same kinds of microaggressions. That's a pretty common experience for women in history. And she's referencing these microaggressions that one of the other speakers that we'll get to in a minute, Nicole talks about. Mm -hmm. Not my Nicole, but one of the speaker, Nicoles talks about microaggressions. But she goes on to say, I didn't realize how much I had to accommodate to ways of being and behaving that didn't feel quite natural and how much of who I am wasn't really welcome in ministry or in my particular setting. And again, that sounds a lot like Kat sort of expecting the church to accommodate her rather than her mold into the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, Not to mention the entire fact that we're born sinners. Which she's a pastor, I'm assuming she knows. This is
0: just along the same lines of just abusing grace, like believer people who want to be believers, but they don't want to let go of their sin, and they want everybody else to accept them for who they are, and we condone sin.
1: Right. This is the whole this idea is the same of like mindset. The apostles telling you to like get people out of your church if they're like prideful and holding on to their sin, then you got to move them out before they infect the rest of the body, right? But she's like, nah, church should just mold into what I like, you know, so we're sinners by birth. Mm-hmm. We hate God in the things of God by birth. So the Christian walk is unnatural for everybody. It's not because you're a woman. It's unnatural for everybody, um, mm-hmm. you know. So just kind of playing this like perpetual victim thing, like you're always the one who's suffering. You know, it's not very easy for you, but everyone else gots it easy. It's just not a Christian mindset. Um, so again, we can see this progressive Christianity. I think point number five here. Um, again, finding grace in the search for understanding, and believe that there's more value in questioning than in absolutes. Mm -hmm. Why does the church work like this? I just doesn't understand. Can we change it to make me more comfortable?
0: Oh gosh. So Amanda's Um, her obstacle and it's just excuse my wording, but it's the dumbest thing said here. And just quoting her, she's talking about her um, preaching, her, prof- her professor in seminary. Yeah,
1: in seminary. In ta-
0: yeah, in seminary. Uh, he then says, and I will never forget one particular instance that sort of exemplified that. I was, um, it was a preaching class in seminary, and after preaching my sermon in class, the professor commented that I was too sexual in my presentation.
1: That's her oppression. That Keep in
0: was mind. her biggest obstacle in yeah like there's no oppression in america or now not in the church at all we've got to pretend there is
1: i'm just too good looking people are just weighing me down that is I'm the dumbest thing So yeah. good looking
0: yeah so Sorry. i'm sure that he let her know uh the specifics like she just kind of left it very vague in how she was offended What. I'm sure they talked it over. I'm sure that she knew ahead of time that these are the things she was going to be graded on. Everybody was going to be graded on. Things that are distractions, too. Like, your appearance is a thing you're graded on. And especially for women, yeah, that's a category you're going to be graded on. Men can be too sexual, too. They can dress in a way that's sexual, just that's really, distracting. Really
1: ridiculously good looking. So she's
0: offended by it, and she—I'm sure she knew ahead of time that was going to be it. I don't think that it was a surprise comment. The way that she explains it is if it caught her off guard, but I don't—I don't think that's true. So,
1: yeah, I don't know. I mean, when I read this, like the professor was obviously sympathetic to female pastors. Like, it's not like you took the most staunch male headship of the church professor, and he was in the class teaching. You know, they didn't take a Muslim cleric and go, hey, go grade this. And he's like, woman, pastor, hold on a sec. <laughs> like He was obviously sympathetic to this, and it was probably not the first female preacher mm-hmm. that he has taught in class. So for this presumably sympathetic Christian professor to tell her, hey, you're a bit sexual in your presentation there, maybe, and this is just going out on a limb, she was too sexual because it's not like he was opposed yeah. to her.
0: Yeah, I just, I just think these women don't like being sharpened and they don't trust those in the body of Christ um, that these people are looking out for their best interest and they want them to succeed. That's his so. job. He's not trying to stop her or she wouldn't be allowed in the class at all. But if someone told me, that I was too sexual in a presentation of the gospel, I would just take all the advice I could and just be like, okay, I know you care about me, and all right, I'll believe what you say instead of just getting offended. Whatever it is that they're critiquing you on, don't get offended. Be willing to be sharpened is the point. And these women, as we'll get on to the other one, but she's offended by people who care too. So this lady, Amanda, just says, well, that's not my problem which is what we hear from immodest women. Anyway, that is the answer they give. That isn't my fault that you're looking at me that way when they're dressed inappropriately.
1: The apostles would disagree. It
0: is your problem. But anyway, I don't know. She says that she was dressed appropriately. Like So she says that, she goes on to say that that comment made her feel horrified, embarrassed, and ashamed. And I'm just thinking, why would she feel that way if she knew it wasn't true. So that just confirms um like she had a conviction. She was embarrassed. You're not embarrassed unless it was true. That's just what I took from that. Like you don't you don't feel that way. You don't feel embarrassed unless he said it publicly in front of everybody. I don't know. That might feel a little embarrassing, but maybe. Oh well, you took the class. Everybody knew how it was going to be graded. I'm assuming. Yeah, I'm we assuming.
1: Don't really know entirely.
0: If he'd been a professor for a while, um I think people kind of knew knew him. You're not the first beautiful woman that he had to say that to.
1: Maybe, yeah, I would imagine <laughs> so. Um.
0: So what she said, uh, the takeaway from this is that she needed to suppress herself to become less female if she was going to become well-received in ministry. And I think she'd have ta- she should have taken this as, no, I will make less of myself and more of Christ. Like, it was everything, sure. Like, take advice less of me, more of Christ. Like, just leave it at that. It's simple.
1: Yeah, because whatever your feelings are as women, ministers, and pastors, like, I don't know anybody that's ever been like, Joyce Meyer is too sexual on stage preaching. Like, I don't know that that's ever been said before. So, if you are being told that you're too sexual in your presentation, maybe it's just true, worth looking in the mirror about. I don't know. But that is not the worst thing. It was the dumbest thing, not nearly the worst thing. Um, Because she, in our opinion, quite clearly twists scripture here. um, Because she brings up Genesis 3.15. Um, And if you want to read this, honey, because this probably had you more hot than anything you read. Yeah, this
0: was really bad. Um, So if you look at Genesis 3.15, um, and this is her speaking here. Um, Amanda, God says to the serpent... I will put enmity between the serpent and the woman, between the serpent's seed and her seed. Her seed will crush the serpent's head, and his seed will strike at the heel of the woman's seed. Now, English translations can be deceiving because they say he, he will crush the serpent's head. But the, and, how do you say that word?
1: Uh, Oh, where are we at? The.
0: Antis, to the right,
1: right there. Oh, but the antecedent to that pronoun. Okay, I'm sorry.
0: Some words are hard for me to pronounce. (laughs) The antecedent to that pronoun he is actually the woman's seed. And so women interpreters noted this. They said this verse is actually not about Jesus. What is uh what is it?
1: What it is about.
0: What it is, thank you. What it is about <laughs> is suggesting that women and all their offspring, particularly their female offspring, are being identified. For the special role that they will play against in uh, fighting against Satan, in fighting against evil. So that, Amanda said all that.
1: Yeah, so, you know, I, that's basically the first prophecy given about Christ in the Bible, that he will crush the serpent's head. And so in just these few sentences that she reads here, she undermines your trust in scripture by mm-hmm. telling you that translations got it wrong, right? And then she looks to steal the glory from Christ So to me, this is not just wrong, but it's Uh, wicked. Yeah. Um, So again, we mentioned that Spurgeon um, catechism that we've been going through with our kids. The very first question in Spurgeon's catechism, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God. So she failed the test on the first question because she's literally sitting here saying, No, no, That very first prophecy about God, it was about women. We're going to fight Satan.
0: But this is what people do these days. They take a verse out of context, just anywhere in the Bible. It doesn't matter who the audience is, who it's to, and they apply it to themselves. People do this all the time, but this is the worst I've ever seen because it's so obvious. It isn't about you. (laughs) Like, it's just... This is the worst I've ever seen to try and apply it to know
1: what Amanda's goal is to stop Satan.
0: She might actually think, no, this is me specifically, not just women, but me. I'm going (laughs) to defeat
1: Satan and I'm going to take back the keys from death.
0: Gosh. Good luck.
1: Um, So this was wicked in my opinion, but Amanda had a lot more to say, uh, but we got a lot of other women or more women to get to. (laughs) um, We're running long here. So. Go read this. If we missed anything or we got it wrong, again, please let us know. Uh, but the next woman, unless there's more you want to say on Amanda, we could probably run forever on Amanda. But no, no. So the next woman up here is Beth. Um, let me get that pulled up so you can see her. Beth Allison Barr. Um The uh an author of making of biblical womanhood how the subjugation of women became gospel truth you so just look at the fun. books
0: people have written and it tells you a whole lot about the things they they believe
1: <laughs> which is funny though because beth was maybe the least disheartening and like the least victim minded um, right. on the entire panel the but she minded, had maybe yeah. one of the most sinister thoughts mm-hmm. in my opinion so she says and we see this idea It continues throughout the medieval world. And she's a historian, so she talks a lot about the medieval world. Um, But she says, and as I think, I introduced a lot of people to in my book, which is awful, is that even though the medieval world is not a golden age for women, it does have what I call a loophole. And the loophole is that women, by rejecting what it means to be a woman, can gain the spiritual authority of a man.
0: The spiritual authority. Not just an authority, a position, but that's really weird, a s- spiritual
1: yeah. authority. and she taught it to a bunch of people that read her book, so that's wonderful.
0: Yeah, so she's a historian, and we were told she made a lot of references to Aristotle. But like all these women, they left scripture out completely um, from every talking point, and it's almost she's almost bragging, it sounds like, when reading this, that she discovered a loophole for women. And a loophole is an ambiguity or inadequacy in the law or a set of rules. Basically, you find something you can exploit and you take advantage of it. Usually you know that it goes against the original intention of the law, but because of the loophole, you can't be found guilty. It doesn't, make you right it just means you can't be proven wrong
1: yeah so and also with that you can't find a loophole against god you didn't find an area where he dropped the ball and you can sort of finagle the rules in your favor that doesn't exist god didn't drop the ball so your loophole is just deceit maybe i don't know um of some sort so very bizarre there um But I think you can see progressive Christian point number two here with Beth, um, especially when she starts referencing Aristotle and all these medieval thinkers rather than anybody from scripture or Mm -hmm. any Bible passage. Um, But the thing that upset me the most about Beth um, or her whole discussion didn't even have to do with what she said. So. Beth, in one of her earlier statements, talks about going to this conference. You know, she attended this conference earlier in in, uh, in her career. And she says that there really weren't any women there. So shortly after the conference started, she just left, right? Because there weren't any women. And then years later, she's talking um, that one of the men that's leading the conference called her and invited her back. And she told the guy like, well, I don't want to go because there aren't any women there. And she says like the man gave her some sound advice that, well, if you came, there would be a woman here, you know? Mm -hmm. So she's like, okay, that makes sense. So she goes there and then she starts inviting more women. And over time, more women start to show up to this conference. Um, But Joyce (laughs) jumps in and she says, um, she says, well, Beth, thank you for paving the way in spaces where there were not a lot of women and creating a safer space for women to enter in. And this is so frustrating because nothing (sighs) about what Beth said gave any indication that the conference wasn't a safe space for women. Joyce is basically framing these men that attended the conference as being unsafe for women to be around when Beth said nothing of that sort. Um, So this is something I just have a big problem with in general, and it goes beyond Christian culture.
0: It's shame on Christianity today, really, because they know what she's going to say. They know their moderator.
2: Oh, they picked her for a reason. They picked
0: her. It's shame on them. It really falls back on them, too, not just on Joyce. No, like if it, they don't correct her on that, like fire her. She's a horrible moderator. She's implying well, and that's things. The biggest
1: problem in this whole thing. Nobody corrects anybody. You know when Amanda's going off on Genesis three. None of these women went. Uh, that's talking about Jesus. Like right. No, nobody that was corrects really
0: them. bold of her to even bring that up. She must have been confident that they agreed with the twisting oh, of sure that scripture, or she wouldn't have brought it up in front of them. They all knew each other. They were like you know, just drooling over each other to be in each other's presence because they're well-known, you know?
1: Yeah, it's bizarre. But this whole, like, Beth thing with being unsafe, right? Like, this is a straw man argument. Um, and, you know, she's basically making this, the case that, like, women struggle in ministry because it's unsafe for them. But you, there's no evidence of that from mm-hmm. what Beth said, right? The fact that women were not in this conference um, was not in any way an indication that women couldn't be in the conference. Because as soon as someone started reaching out and inviting women, they showed up and were accepted. That's what Beth says. Mm -hmm. So it might be more of an indictment to the women that they don't feel that they need to be as involved in their faith uh, or their faith walk as men, Mm -hmm. you know, but we see this all over society today and it's irritating everywhere that you see it. Um, This idea that like wherever there's an imbalance or sort of an over-representation, it's got to be because of race or gender or you know, ageism, sexism, some sort of ism that's preventing complete and perfect balance. Um, Like maybe the reason that there's less women in computer science is because women don't enjoy sitting at a computer screen for 14 hours writing code. It's not because computer coders are sexual predators that make it (laughs) unsafe for women to be around. Like that doesn't have to be the reason
0: i know so
1: when it comes to christian culture we can't let this narrative stand i said this earlier like we have to put a stop to it when we see this stuff um because maybe the reason that this christian conference and all christian conferences are more male dominated is because church leader is biblically led by male leaders Yep. so then again rather than being humbled to sort of this end here um you know, they all see this as sort of a problem that needs to be fixed because it's oppressive to women. It Beth gave no indication to that, but Joyce is going to push her and prod her into that. It's unsafe She's trying for to
0: unify us, remember?
1: It's so frustrating. So <laughs> the last thing on Beth before we get to Nicole here. Um, Yeah, do you want to just read this last one that she says here?
0: Yeah, Beth says, and I'm a social histori- historian, which means that I uh, do look across large swaths of time to see for both continuity and change. And so biblical womanhood, this idea, we can look across history and we can see that it is rooted in the ancient world. If you think about
1: Aristotle,
0: thank you, his teachings, that women are deformed men, that there is something wrong with the female body that makes her unable to be in leadership because She simply is not, she's not capable of doing that type of service. And just when she says that biblical womanhood is rooted in the ancient world, is that true, guys? You know the answer.
2: No. It is
1: not. (laughs) It's rooted in the Bible, right? Right. The ancient world was pagan. It was
0: pagan. Yeah, Yeah. It's so weird that she's like trying to interpret scripture through paganism that's what she's doing and just applying biblical principles and then calling the biblical principles wrong like that's why it's called biblical it's pertaining to the things in the bible and not the things outside like the rest of the culture so she referenced aristotle again plenty but not a single scripture So she's determining what a biblical woman should be because Aristotle got it wrong.
1: Yeah, very confusing It doesn't make any sense.
0: Very confusing.
1: So Beth, yeah, she was not great, Um, even though she was probably the best of the worst. I don't know. It was awful.
0: I don't know. But the last woman to get here,
1: um, she was. And because she's a historian, she talked in a way, and this one was probably more evident than some of the others where it can be a little bit tricky to pin down what she's saying and where she's going with it Mm -hmm. Um, because she's obviously intelligent and she's talking about medieval times that you generally don't know about. Right. So that she she can generally say what she wants and you're like, I guess, I mean, I don't know. That's how people are even with
0: anybody with a a doctorate or, you know, very learned in a certain area, you think you're unable to understand what they're saying you're just in awe like oh all all the things she's saying i don't understand but yeah whatever she says she's she's the one knowledgeable like yeah they can be corrected too like we have the bible and we are able to point out where they are in error even though they are well-learned educated people we have the holy spirit in us he's our teacher he's going to show us where there's error He's not going to let us be deceived. So don't be intimidated by people like this. Like, yeah, we had to read through it a couple times and we were catching more things each time. We were like, yeah, scripture says this and she said that. And everything was becoming more and more clear. Like the, the evil in all of this was just surfacing the more we were comparing it to scripture, the more we're reading and we're like, that's not true. That's not true because scripture says this.
1: Yeah. No, it was definitely, she wasn't great. Um, but the last woman here, so just kind of keep this thing going. Uh, the last one to talk about her name was Nicole. Um, and she is Reverend Dr. Nicole Martin. Um, and she's the one that we talked about earlier who had gotten this thing started talking about microaggressions. Yeah. Um, and she says, as I was processing this, ask, you know, talking about the first question or this conference, she says, I think one of the biggest obstacles that I faced and in part still face it's just navigating the external kind of comments that are meant i would assume from a good place but become microaggressions for me and i would just say that anytime you hear someone speaking of microaggressions your progressive radar should be turned on cuz you know oh. in the sense of christianity oh yeah let's pull up her picture here yeah um that's her right there oh nicole martin yeah right there um but yeah, so you should be aware of that anytime you hear someone talking about micro, uh, microaggressions. Because um, again, when you talk about Christianity, you should be preparing yourself that like, they're probably about to start twisting scripture around here um, or leading me down a path, right? Um, so I don't think Nicole disappointed a ton in that aspect, but you should just definitely be aware when you start hearing people talk that way. Um, mm-hmm. So she goes on to say, I've done my research. And I know what God is calling me to do. And uh, that's going to link to sort of the sermon recommendation that we have at the end of this episode. But to me, this has become basically um, what American Christians have sort of exchanged the true armor of God. They've exchanged that for this, right? It's what God's calling me to do. Like mm. this has become their shield, right? Yeah. You can't tell me what I'm doing wrong. God told me to do it. God's calling me. And they talk about God's calling constantly in this. You know, you mm-hmm. can't argue against God's calling, right? Who are you to say when God called them to do something, though you can't verify it in any way either? Um, and there's never been a person that's worked in any sort of ministry at any level that didn't say, God called me here.
0: Yeah, that whole calling thing. I didn't know if you had this in the notes. It just came to me, so I had to look up in my notes. No. On my phone. So she says something in line with these, this calling, and she says, Um, for me, that was like, that maybe God, um, called me not in spite of my gender, but because I'm a woman and because I have qualities and characteristics that actually contribute to the kingdom of God. And I'm thinking like being a wife and a mother to your children, like those are the characteristics that you have because you're a woman and you're trying to say you have these qualities and characteristics um that only pertain to women in the ministry but those same qualities also apply to men in ministry like when it comes to the church ministry you're not you don't really have different qualities
1: well but that's what they're all they all would say on this panel like me being a woman especially nicole being a woman of color she's inherently has a complete different set of skills and worldview that is super important to the body of Christ that a a white male or whoever couldn't possibly bring to the table. But yeah, Nicole, so she, she earned her doctorate um, from this place called Gordon-Conwell. She earned a doctorate in, uh, or, yeah, in ministry, and it says that her emphasis was in African-American redemptive literature, which whatever that is. Um, but hmm. you can guess it has a heavy dose of race-based study. So you can read down oh, here, gosh. and some of the stuff that they have to read through is leading a healthy, multi-ethnic church. Seven common challenges to overcome. Divided by faith. Evangelical Religion and the Problem of Race in America. Oh,
0: my goodness. So she got a heavy
1: dose of race. um, But with her, I think you can still definitely see that progressive Christianity point three and four again um, taking root here with her. And, um, yeah, so if you want to just talk about the first obstacle, I guess, or the second obstacle, I guess, she talked about. The big obstacle. This
0: one really bugged me. So, yeah. So she says, uh, people would ask her uh, when she was going to stop her ministry job so she could take care of her children. And I thought, um, it's weird to call people's concerns obstacles. Like, this is what I was talking about earlier. Like, these are just people who who know her. These aren't just random people in church talking to her. These are probably close friends and maybe family who are just wondering well, how are you going to take care of your family if you're diving into seminary you know that's gonna take up a lot of your time so
1: yeah when my mom told me to stop jumping off the roof it was a huge obstacle to me being a daredevil
0: yeah i just don't like how they talk about people who are really concerned about them and their family because they probably know their kids and their husband as well and they are concerned someone who loves you is going to bring that up it's going to well, be uncomfortable even for them. She says up
1: here, she says um, that the comments that they said, I would assume were from a good place, but they were still microaggressions. Like, like
0: how hurtful is that? The people
2: so
1: listening
0: to this who were the ones who were concerned and hearing how she's talking about them now. And, like, I don't know what, how her kids are. Like, she goes on to say – um. She said each of those comments touched on an insecurity she had and she would overcome them by reminding herself that she is enough for ministry. Her children are uh, discipled and, and they are okay. And she says, yes, I make mistakes, but God made my children for ministry, just like he made me for ministry. And they grow from me being obedient in my calling. Like, And i was thinking, your calling is first to be raising your kids. And I'm thinking like, then, okay, based on that statement, your children are going to grow because you're being obedient in your calling to be the, what does she do? She She's a professor and, yeah, she's done a lot of studying. She's had a lot of her time. She's had to focus there, away from her kids, to be in her calling. But how, okay, you're thinking your kids are just going to, um They're going to grow spiritually because they're just watching you. So you're just saying anybody who's a pastor in any type of ministry, their kids automatically are believers and following God. Like we know that that's false and that's just terrible that she said that. And so other women are going to hear that statement and, and believe that.
1: Yeah. Why would they not believe that? It doesn't pan out, right? Because we all know the pastor's kid. We talked about Stephen Furtick's son, yeah. just the other week, who's off into some, you know, pretty worldly hip hop and stuff like that. So he obviously didn't see his yeah. dad just in he ministry and become godly.
0: Right. It has nothing to do with you, your kids.
1: The Bible says to train them up in the way they should go, and not just like do good stuff around them. Like and
0: what about um, Eli in First Samuel? He's a priest and his children follow along. And Well, he didn't correct them either. He wasn't training them up. He didn't get after them when they sinned.
1: Right, but he was the prophet of God. Yeah. And he didn't raise his children properly and his whole family was cursed because of it. Yeah. So, yeah. You
0: really got to take your job. It's not to to say that it
1: doesn't help, right? Like if you are living a very faithful life and all those, it helps. Sure but it doesn't supplant your need for raising and training your kids in the way they should go. That doesn't supersede that. Mm-hmm. So that's just an important thing to see, right?
2: Mm-hmm. You know, you could
1: be the world's best basketball player and your kids sit there and they watch you play basketball every day, but if you don't actually get on the court with them and train them, mm-hmm. they're not going to be good just by watching you. So very yeah. weird here with Nicole. Um, is there any last things you want to touch on here? We're already running long before you want to get into biblical woman. Yeah, womanhood. I was just
0: going to say, like, that was a good analogy with the, the basketball. Of
1: course it was. I'm a white evangelical <laughs> male, honey.
0: Yeah, so, like, your kids can't just sit on the sidelines and watch you in, in your calling. And they see how important this calling is. But now they're left without their mom because you're doing something more important. How do you think that makes them feel? Maybe they're marginalized now because you got more important things going on. You have other people to minister to and who's who's ministering to your kids? They don't know what you're talking about. I don't yeah. know. They just you need to minister to them. You're making them the marginalized one.
1: Well, they're already African American, honey. They have to be marginalized. Don't you understand <laughs> what we're talking about here?
0: They're orphans. No, um, I don't no, so that's
1: the women again. We're just sort of touching on some of the things they talked about. There's a lot more, but we want to end this before we hit the two-hour mark. So we want to end talking about biblical womanhood because they don't talk about biblical womanhood in here really at all. They nope. don't reference scripture at all. They don't talk about women from the Bible at all. So nope. um, if you really want to weird. just kick this off, honey, talking about biblical womanhood.
0: Yeah, so I know they didn't. Go to Scripture for their source of truth. So we'll do that for you, or I'll start us off in that. So all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So everyone's familiar with Proverbs thirty-one. Pretty familiar. I feel like I read it and I'm like something else stands out to me. Right. I'm always learning more. <laughs> I don't have it. I don't have it memorized, but everybody knows what. Proverbs 31, is really about. So just starting in verse 27, it says, She watches over the ways of her household, and she does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Um, many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. So, she is a wise woman who cares for her family first <laughs> by making a profit from her work. Her husband trusts her fully. Um, she's not a burden to her family, so she isn't lazy. She's a profitable servant, you could say, um, referencing one of Jesus' parables. So what did you do with what you were given? You were given a husband and you were given children and a home. What did you do with that? Did you hide it? No. So she was given the children to raise in the Lord, a home to keep, ability to work with her hands, to make clothing, plant a vineyard to bless your household, and she blesses the poor. So these things are what God is pleased with more than leaving this responsibility to pursue more man applauding Work, even in ministry, you're getting the applauses, you're getting, you're getting the fame, you're getting recognition. So bringing this recognition to your own name, that's the problem. That's what they're seeking. So the Proverbs woman makes her husband's name known. Uh, she brings honor to his name among the elders of the land. Do we bring honor to God in that type of service? Uh, or are we just making a name for ourselves? Um, and the things that we do for us, for something apart, away from the home. So that's what I notice. I'm just trying to contrast here. So this Proverbs 31 woman, is, she is very busy. She doesn't go to sleep. <laughs> she, She's just always taking care. She's putting others before herself. That's what it comes down to.
1: Right, but all of the things that she's working and toiling for is... For her home, yes. for her family and her, because that is her ministry. Mm-hmm. So she works to support the home better, you know, she, and that sort of stuff. So, yeah, she's busy, very busy, but it's all for that ministry of the family and the home.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: But, you know, I think this is an important point to make, um, especially in light of the world that we live in, kind of the importance of the woman in the home um, and raising kids because we see what public schools are doing we talk about it on this show right or what they're trying to do with your children what espn wants them to do with your children yeah you know so putting your kids there is risky mm-hmm. so even if you have money right daycare and school and nannies and babysitters while you're pursuing your career outside of the home that mm-hmm. isn't raising children it's not raising them in the way they should go Um, ideally i would say you know it's raising your children. But like after 50 to 60 years in a country of doing this, we can start to see that it's just not working as a society. Our country isn't getting better, more healthy spiritually, more successful, more educated, like everything's getting worse. So maybe this idea that they're pursuing here isn't really panning out the way that they might have thought that it was.
0: Yeah. So she isn't leaving her children in the care of someone who will corrupt them. Like what's going on today, um, she says. Scripture says she will be given the fruit of her hands. So she's laboring. Um, well, we labor. We should be laboring. Um, the laboring we do in leading and teaching our children how to walk in God's ways, reading Scripture together and teaching and teaching it to them. Every day we do this. Almost every day, we trust as we labor in this that God will bring the increase. Um, like I said before, like your children standing on the sidelines, watching you do ministry outside the home is not doing them any good. Bring your children alongside you as you minister and, uh, minister to people and feed the poor, teach them why we do good, why we are to fear the Lord, why the Lord is good. All the children see is mom getting glory for writing books and preaching and teaching others while leaving you an orphan spiritually. Um, so as parents, we, we aren't called to just provide earthly needs, but more so spiritual. Because seek first the kingdom of God and all those other things will be added to you, right? Um, you see all, all through Proverbs 31 that she is considering the well-being of others before herself. She's staying up late and she's rising early before the sun is up.
1: Yeah, and we're not necessarily coming right out and like accusing Nicole. Um, or any of these women that they aren't doing those things, right? We don't know their family necessarily. We don't know their life. Um, But we all see the children of the rich and successful. Yeah, yeah. The children of pastors, you know, those that are more like celebrities than pastors. You know, so we can speculate.
0: We caution them because they're saying things as if it's fact. Right. And we we caution them
1: because we're all human. We only have so much time in the day. And kids take an immense amount of time. So if you're giving that time away somewhere else, it means you have less of it for them. So we're speculating as a word of caution, basically. Mm -hmm. So I just want to make that point. but.
0: But these four women would say that this Proverbs 31 woman is subjugated and oppressed. Scripture tells us that she is wise and she's blessed. It tells us she willingly works with her hands. There's nothing in here that suggests her husband is forcing her to do any of these things.
1: Joyce thinks it's an unsafe environment for her, probably. I don't <laughs> probably. know. Probably,
0: Yeah. So the next verses I'm going to talk about just in my Bible app. It says like right above, it says the qualities of a sound church. And that really jumped out to me just seeing the description of that. But there's instruction in there for men as well. But just focusing on the women here. Titus 2, starting in verse 3. Uh, says the older women likewise that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given uh, to much wine, teachers of good things. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their tri- their children, to be discreet, chaste, uh, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands. Um, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. In verse fifteen, says, speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you, and we know that these four women, just from what we've read, despise these kinds of teachings and those who are teaching these things.
1: It certainly seemed that way. Definitely seem that way.
0: Yeah. But and
1: There's other verses if you want to read through these as well, or I can read this one. Um, it says yeah, go ahead. another verse that they may despise, depending on what, they, what we've read from them, 1 Corinthians 11.3. Um, the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Um, verse 8 and 9 says, For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Um,
0: yeah, so don't worry. The Bible does not teach husbands to subjugate their wives. Ephesians five twenty two verses through 25 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Notice this letter is to believers, assuming husbands are submitting to Christ. This is a sound church. This isn't just instruction. This is instruction to have a sound church, submission, order in this submission the wives are not to disobey their husbands because that is equivalent to disobeying Jesus we love Jesus but how by how we treat the church and stay in this proper order of authority that god put in place it's not it's not an option and this is the crazy thing with the loophole that she mentioned this is spiritual authority here and she's saying oh there's a loophole you can have spiritual authority over a man and that is i would just say that's antichrist teaching there
1: no i read a great verse and i put it in my tiktok the uh, the other morning last week from Dietrich Bonhoeffer and i think it fits here he says um if you question god before obeying you've denied him already mm. so if you have this idea of spiritual authority the Bible, God lays it out the specific way, and you question that before actually obeying it, you're denying God. Mm-hmm. So I would just say tread carefully there. Uh, you don't want to be in the camp of God denier. That's a bad place to Questioning be. Questioning God's
0: His order things. like Just because we don't see it and we're taught that it's oppressive, that makes us question God.
2: Right.
1: Yeah, and
0: that's what they're trying to get you to do is to question God, question scripture.
1: That's certainly the way it sounds to me here.
0: Yeah. So don't, don't you see how marriage is a perfect representation of the gospel here though? The wife gladly and willingly works all her days to be a blessing to her husband and to the children he gave her because of his love for her, like him loving her first. So now she's willingly, she's working joyfully. He's not making her do it. He's the sole provider, protector, preserver, the, the defender and all other things that represent Christ at the church for a wife to say she is equal to her husband is distorting the view of the gospel in marriage. So that's pretty serious. Like when you so. see all these things as an image of the gospel, it really like, it puts the fear of God in you because you realize how you've questioned God or how you've tried to go out of his lines um, out of his order, and
1: and it's just, the same idea you hear everywhere that somehow different equates to one being greater and one being lesser. Right. Yeah. But it doesn't. Different is just different, right? God created them male and female. He created them different. He didn't make them lesser, right? He just made them different. And we're constantly being told in this world that somehow different means somebody's greater, somebody's lesser, and they mm-hmm. have to correct that somehow. And we're seeing this infect the mm-hmm. church now. God created men and women different. He gave them different roles. One's not greater than the other. He just yeah. gave them different roles. No, it's got to be greater. And we need to usurp that and find loopholes to usurp that. So it's definitely dangerous it and in our church. So if you want to get this last verse out of the way or these last two, and then we can wrap yeah, this thing up. I just wanted to touch. Hours.
0: I know. And just touch on some other verses. I don't need to explain a lot of it, but first Peter three, uh, Is another one. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way uh, the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right. And do not give way to fear. And do you ever think that submission is beautiful? <laughs> <And> what's funny <laughs> talk there, that.
1: we were joking about this because we were reading 1 Peter with the kids. You know, we look at women in our day and we're like, oh, they're completely immodest. You know, but women back in Peter's day, they were modest. But Peter's writing here going, women in our day are immodest. But back in Sarah's <laughs> day, they used to be modest. Like, it's kind of funny. Like, and
0: it's crazy. Like, he's saying she was beautiful. In her submission, obeying him, and like that was beauty. That was outward. It came from inside of her, the inner, that gentle and quiet well, spirit. But
1: we can't be sure these girls have ever learned of Sarah. They didn't reference her at all. They so, sure didn't. Um, in the
0: last one, I'll just do a proverbs uh, Proverbs one seven, uh, says fools despise wisdom and discipline. And the, there are people in this. These four women were discussing. We tried to give them wisdom and discipline. And all these women gave us was examples of them rejecting wisdom and knowledge. They talked about how it was given and they were offended by it and they rejected it. So according to Proverbs, fools despise it. And
1: Yeah, it's dangerous. I don't know. Nobody wants to be a fool. Let's not be not a biblical fool. Let's be humble.
0: Yeah. We have to be able to take correction. And anything we're trying to do. I mean, just be careful. You don't have to take on so much. We really got to look out for one another and not be afraid to speak up and offend someone. Same time, like, look at it both ways.
1: Yeah, so that's our take on biblical womanhood. Um, please jump on. Let us know what you think. Uh, but as far as this whole conference, I think this conference felt more like a woman in business conference yeah. than a biblical womanhood conference. Um, mm-hmm. it was a, you know, Definitely. how did you overcome obstacles to achieve success? Basically, nothing about how did you live your life in close fellowship with God. There was none of that in this conference, so it's hard to justify right. it as a biblical conference. But so why is this important? Why is it worth talking about here on our show? Um, I think it's important because these are the women the world is gonna push out to your daughters. Um, they obviously have the platform already. Mm -hmm. So these are the world or the women that the world is going to be telling your daughters that they should aspire to, Mm -hmm. you know, not that old Cuban grandmother, like Kat said, that was subjugated to the kitchen, though she was apparently sharing her faith, growing her children. No, that's subjugation. You know, you don't need to do that, right? So we as believers need to be aware of the devil's devices, which I would say this is Mm -hmm. and how to speak about it to our children. Because if we don't speak about it, the world's going to speak about it to them. So I think that's why it's important. And there's nothing wrong with women, you know, learning and serving the Lord and all of that, but it's getting twisted and they're injecting this social justice idea into the church and basically service to the Lord becomes business aspirations. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just not appropriate, basically, I think. So before we get to our sermon recommendation, is there any last words that you have on this topic?
0: Um, not really on the topic. I was just going to say anytime you listen to Christianity today, I say listen with uh, discernment, with caution.
1: Yeah. There's Um, that old quote. I can't remember who said it, but, you know, they said every morning I wake up and I read the Bible and the New York times just so I can see what the other side is doing. I think it's getting to that point now. Like I read the Bible and I read Christianity today to see what the progressive Christians are up to kind of a thing. So watch it. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, just be cautious with what you're hearing from them. So lastly, our sermon recommendation here. And we did get some sermon recommendations from our great Facebook group. But we were so busy this week, we didn't even actually have time to listen to them. So shame on us, we will get to those. Um, so I didn't want to recommend something that I hadn't personally listened to. Mm-hmm. Um, so rather than that, we went with just an oldie, but a goodie. It's not that old, actually, but a goodie. Um, Vodibachum. So we thought it fit perfectly with this topic here. So um, the sermon is Stop Saying God Told Me, and it's really just snippets taken together of Vodibachum, sort of correcting this sort of idea. It's only about 18 minutes long, but it's just really good on this idea of, well, God told me, God called me, and him telling you, like, no, that's, mm-hmm. that's not actually accurate. It's not how
0: God Not speaks. biblical. So yeah,
1: it's a quick listen, but it's a good listen. So we'd encourage you to, to go check that out. It'll be in the show notes. Um, and then lastly, devotionals will be back out on Monday. Um, and then we'll be back again next week, either with a good interview or a seven deadly sin. So that is all we have for you guys today. Oh, let me actually get the screen back up here. That is all we have for you guys today. And uh, we'll see you next time. God bless.